So we're going to start off the day with a bit of a survey. Now, who here loves a survey? See, I tricked you. That's a survey, but that's not it. So the survey question today on Sunday morning is, in your opinion, is it easy or hard to be a Christian? Keep it to yourself. This is an inside survey. (laughs) Is it easy or is it hard to be a Christian? And if you answered that question out loud, but if you answered that question that it's hard to be a Christian... Why did you say that? So many Christians, when they are quizzed, there's, there's always a couple of answers that are right on the top of that list. And the one that is always at the top is, in today's society, it's hard to be a Christian because social media and really media in general makes it hard. Why is that? Because Christians say they feel like, in today's world, they are constantly swimming upstream against a current of what they would call, the easiest way to put it is, moral decay. The second most given uh, answer to that question is, why is it tough to be a Christian, is Christians feel oftentimes like they have to keep their Christianness a bit of a secret, that inside they are this superhero like Superman, but on the outside they have to be like Clark Kent because they don't want anyone to be offended or whatever. So they, they live this secret life, and that's the second most given reason. And there's a lot of other reasons that are given, but those are the top two. And, um, and, and I also tricked you too, again, I tricked you twice. So uh, it is easy being a Christian was said by nobody ever. So that was the wrong answer, by the way. Both is the wrong answer. And if we agree that it's hard being a Christian... Do we think that it is harder, I'll extend the survey question a little bit more, is it harder being a Christian today than maybe it was at some other point in history? Like maybe back when the church was just starting, when Christ had just ascended into heaven. So last week, Pastor Laura kicked off a sermon series on Acts, and she talked a little bit about the first part of Acts where uh, Jesus has been just recently resurrected, and he is hanging out with them, and the, and the disciples, they are fired up. The disciples are really, really excited because Jesus is back, and Jesus is putting the band together. And they believe, the disciples believe, that Jesus is going to do all the work. They still haven't gotten the reason why Jesus was on earth. Of all the books of the Bible, my favorite book is Acts, and here's why. Think about this. In just about every single movie we've ever seen, in just about every single book we've ever read, in just about every story that we've ever heard, the story goes something like this. The hero, the main character, the protagonist, at some point in the story, the hero is down. And then something happens, and the hero gets up and goes on to victory. So let's think about movies for a second. In an action-adventure movie, what always happens, what always happens, almost always, is the hero, the bad guys have knocked the hero down. And the hero is, is, is down, and it doesn't look like the hero is going to get up. But all of a sudden, something happens, and the hero gets up. He dusts himself off, and he goes, and he does battle with the bad guys, and he wins. Think about, think about a romance story. 
Now, I have never seen a romance movie ever, but I have been told that this is something how it goes, that there's a guy, and it's always a guy. The guy is being a jerk, but something happens, and the guy suddenly stops being a jerk, and he goes, and then he sweeps the girl off her feet, and he gets the girl. One of my favorites, though, is, is sports movies. Think about almost every sports movie you've ever seen. There's a sports team, and they are awful. They have a horrible record. They can't win a game. They can't do anything right. Something happens. A spark happens. And then they go on and they start winning game after game after game. And then they go on and they win the championship. That, friends, that is the book of Acts. That is, what, that is the book of Acts. So if we think for a second about the, the life of, of the disciples, they lived on a roller coaster. The disciples lived on a roller coaster. Put yourself in their shoes. You are a simple Joe. And this guy comes up to you and says, my name is Jesus. I'm the son of God. I'm going to free you. And together we're going to change the world. So together they spend three years. They see Jesus do amazing things. And then one night, he is betrayed by one of them. Jesus allows himself to be, to be arrested. They see Jesus convicted, condemned, mocked, tortured, crucified. He's dead and he's buried. Three days later, Jesus comes back. They are fired up because they're thinking, okay, Jesus is back. Now you Romans are going to get it. Now Jesus is going to give you what for. We're going to show you that we mean business. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, before any of that happens, Jesus says, boys, you're in charge. And the clouds part, and Jesus ascends into heaven. That is that roller coaster. And they are dumbfounded. They never did understand why Jesus had assembled them. They never, ever got it. They didn't understand that Jesus could not be the one that was going to build the church. If he had stayed, he would have been the geographic center. He would have been the story. The story would not have been about the church. That is why Jesus assembled them. That is why Jesus had to leave them to build the church. So Acts is where the disciples get their act together. But it wasn't anything that the disciples did. Jesus, before he ascended, he told them, go back to Jerusalem and I want you to wait. And as Jesus oftentimes did with them, he didn't give them the whole story, but he gave them the first part of the story. He said, I want you to go do this. Go back to Jerusalem and wait. And so they went back to Jerusalem and they waited. But they didn't know what they were waiting for. What they were waiting for is described to us the first part of Acts 2. Now, this is not our scripture reading today, but the way that basically Acts 2 unfolds is they go back together and they are in this room. And all of a sudden, they hear this sound from heaven. It sounds like a, a whirlwind. And all of a sudden, each one of them, tongues of flame, it looks like tongues of flame touch them. And all of a sudden, they are able to speak in tongues. It is, the disciples are changed forever. 
It is the metamorphic moment in the Bible. It is the point where the disciples turn from a caterpillar into a butterfly. In an instant, they change from being disciples. And disciples means student or follower. And in that second, they change into what we call the apostles. Now, I am not Greek, nor do I claim to be, but the Greek root is apostolos, apostolos. And what that means is envoy or ambassador or messenger. So in that instant, they are changed. They receive the Holy Spirit. Peter goes out and in his first sermon, he converts, he brings in 3,000 people to the church in one single sermon. The apostles finally understand and they are wholeheartedly committed to the mission that Jesus has left with them. That leads us to where our scripture today is Acts 2, 43 through 47. This is just after they are visited by the Holy Spirit, and here's what happens. And fear came upon every soul, and the apostles did many wondrous, many wonders and signs, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And all that believed were together and all had things in common sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man needed, and continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat meat with gladness and singleness of heart. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the, the apostles, they're performing signs and wonders. And the new members in the church, they're selling everything they have, and they're taking the proceeds of that, and they are delivering that to the apostles. They are worshiping together in the temple. They're worshiping together in homes. They are like one. Think of it, one long chain with a continuous heart. Acts has to be the world's greatest before and after story. What made the difference? What was the difference? Was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit. So how do we define the Holy Spirit? Let's say for a second that you came to church with a friend that had never been to church before. And you leave and they say, wow, that was great. That, that Doug guy, he was awesome. They would say that. They, they would say, the Father... I get that. They say, the son, I get that. This Holy Spirit thing, what is that all about? If you asked 100 pastors, if you asked 100 theologians, they would all probably give you a slightly different or radically different answer of what the Holy Spirit is. And I believe there's a reason for that. Here it is. I think for each of us, the Holy Spirit is slightly different. It has to be. It can't be the same for all of us. I think it's slightly different for all of us. So if I had to sum it up in a simple analogy, the Holy Spirit is God in us in action. So in the early church, the disciples were doing everything for the first time. Jesus did not leave them a written set of instructions. He didn't say on day one, Here's how we're going to do this. And on day two, do this. Day three, if you lift anything out on day two, let's follow that up on day three. But then here's the things I want you to do on day three. 
They didn't have a list of things to do. They didn't really know what to do. So as Pastor Laura mentioned last week, what did they do? Number one, they prayed all the time. Number two, they read the Bible. And number three, they listened to the Holy Spirit. They let the Holy Spirit guide them. You know what they didn't do? As disciples, they bickered all the time. On the night that Christ was betrayed, they were still arguing over which one of us is the most awesome. But as apostles, they didn't bicker. They came together to build the church. They came together for a singleness of purpose. They came together and they let the Holy Spirit focus them and drive them forward. And as new members joined the church and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they continually and enthusiastically gave of themselves as a community. Nobody kept score. Nobody said, I am out worshiping you. Nobody said, I gave up more than you did and I gave more to the church. The Holy Spirit guided them and helped them to see what mattered. Not money, not possessions. All of those things that were inconsequential, they all fell away. Imperfect people experience the perfect love of God, are transformed, and they change the world together. Now, if you've come to this church for a little bit, you know that that is the mission statement of this church, and it goes back to those days. Together, they built a church. They built our church, and the Holy Spirit threaded through them to hand down that legacy of that church to us. So what lessons can we take from the early days of the church? There was a guy, John Wesley, and if you've been a Methodist for a while, you recognize that name. John Wesley is is the character, is the guy that created this church. And John Wesley, I don't know if you know his history, but John, I'll give you a small history lesson. John Wesley went through his whole life living in the Church of England, and he had the opportunity as he was recently ordained in the Church of England, he had this opportunity. He could, he could go down path one, and path one was he could become, he could join uh, the church as, as a minister or a pastor. And what that would have meant for him is he would have lived probably in London, and he would have had a pretty upper-crust sort of life. And in those days, that's what everybody aspired to. Option two was he had an opportunity to go to be a missionary in the new world. Here's what that involved. It meant he gave up that, first of all. It meant that he got on a sailing vessel that was rat-infested that may or may not make it across the Atlantic Ocean to the new world, to the colonies, and then there he was going to be a missionary, and who knows what that would have meant for him. Big decision. Life that I've always known, Or do I feel God calling me to do something different? This picture is from Lincoln College, which is in Oxford. And if you look at the second panel from the right, John Wesley spent weeks under that pane of glass, praying, looking to the Holy Spirit to guide him on what to do. And the reason that he chose that particular pane of glass is because it depicts 
Jonah and the whale. Now, Jonah's an Old Testament story. God says, Jonah, I want you to go there. And Jonah says, no, I'm not doing that. And he got on a boat and he went that way. And God said, I thought I told you I wanted you to go there. So he sent a storm to capture the boat, and then he sent a whale to the boat. And the crew said, all right, so if we jettison Jonah, we're going to be good? Yeah, okay. They jettison Jonah. The whale snaps him up. It takes him three days to take him to where God told him to go originally. Now, that is a highly paraphrased clip of the story. It's the cliff notes. But that is why John Wesley spent all that time underneath it, because he didn't want, metaphorically speaking, he didn't want God to send a whale after him. He said, this is a really big decision. I need help figuring out what this is. And he used, so he prayed, talked to his friends, and he listened to the Holy Spirit. Just one example. So what, what does all this matter? Why is all this important? Here's why. Two thousand years ago, twelve guys huddled together. They were dazed, they were confused, they were flat out scared to death. Everything they had ever known for the last three years was in an instant gone. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to go. And in that instant that the Holy Spirit visited them, they were changed forever. Changed their hearts, and then they went and they changed the world. That spirit that was in them that started the church is in us. It's in you. It's in me. It is there for all of us when we need it. Whether we're confronting a big decision or whether we need the strength to overcome a challenge or a problem or an addiction, it is there for us to call on. If we want to live with the passion and the zeal that the apostles had when they got the Holy Spirit, all we have to do is call on it. At the start of this, I said, is it easy or hard to be a Christian? With the Holy Spirit, it's easy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for so many things, for all your blessings, all the things you do for us, but number one on that list that we thank you for is the Holy Spirit. We know this world is your creation and that we are immersed in that perfect creation all the time, but the Holy Spirit, Father, that's you inside us. Please, Father, help us to find and grow that force in us every minute of every day. Because we know that when we, that we focus that Holy Spirit that's in us, there's nothing we can't do. In your son's name we pray. Amen.